sober curious? Have you ever seriously examined your relationship with alcohol? How it serves you and how it doesn't? Today we're going to examine your relationship with alcohol. No preaching or moralizing, just a surprisingly refreshing invitation to step back and objectively explore the role of alcohol in your life. And of course we'll mention the health benefits of reducing or eliminating alcohol, but that's not really what this episode is about. This episode is about you stepping into your most beautiful life, your most beautiful self. It's about examining your behaviors and being mindful. It's about growth and self-experimentation. And ultimately, it's about becoming and owning your most authentic self. Welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life, so you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Karolina Zadkowolska is here, and she's going to help us examine our relationship with alcohol. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Living Libations. It is so hard to find truly organic and natural beauty products that don't contain harsh chemicals. Even organic or natural brands often sneak in these harmful chemicals. But Living Libations has a line of pure and organic renegade beauty products that will make you look, feel, and smell your best without any of the harsh and harmful stuff found in almost all commercial beauty products. They have a full line of products for men and women that not only leave you clean, radiant, and smelling great, but here's the deal. All of their products actually heal and nurture your skin's natural microbiome. I personally switched over exclusively to their products about five years ago, and they are an important part of not just my hygiene care, but of my whole body wellness care. You can check out their full line of soaps, shampoos, cleansers, oral care, deodorant, natural makeup, and so much more. Just head over to silveredgepartners.com and click on the Living Libations icon, and you can get 10% off your order when you use coupon code SILVEREDGE at checkout. That's SILVEREDGE all run together, no spaces. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. today is Karolina Zadkowolska. Karolina is an alcohol-free empowerment expert and best-selling author who specializes in helping people change their relationship with alcohol for good, to value their worth, and discover their greater purpose. Join us today as Karolina challenges our relationship with alcohol and helps us discover and unleash our greater purpose. I started our interview by asking Carolina how she got so passionate about this subject. Thank you so much for having me on the show because alcohol is something that all around us, but we hardly ever really think or reevaluate or talk about it. You know, and just like so many people, I drank because it was the social custom around me. I learned how to drink in high school and in college. I would go to parties and hang out with friends, and I really tied it really quickly in my early life to socializing and 
feeling more confident and all these things. And I would say that when I was in college, I really was overdoing it. I was partying a lot. But something really interesting happened as I got into my later 20s is I started to really value health and mindfulness. And so what happened with my drinking is that I started to really work out more. I started to drink more green juices, eat more vegetables, practice meditation, and I would relegate drinking to the weekend. So Monday through Thursday, I was living the healthiest lifestyle, but then every weekend alcohol came into the picture. And what ended up happening was on Monday mornings, I felt like crap. I felt like a shell of myself. I woke up feeling obviously groggy, tired. Uh, I also just felt emotionally really low. And I just didn't understand what was happening to me because everyone around me was doing the exact same pattern. Everybody would drink on social occasions or out on the weekend. And I was like, is everybody feeling like this on Monday? This sucks. But I really kept it quiet for so long. I thought that there was something intrinsically wrong with me to be experiencing alcohol that way. And I kept just trying to make alcohol a smaller part of my life. But still, it was giving me so much mental anguish. And it wasn't until I heard about dry January where you take a whole month off alcohol that finally something shifted in my head. Because for me, in my mind before, I always thought that people who quit drinking had this massive problem, wear a scarlet A for the rest of their lives on their chest. And it's just something I didn't really want to relate to, right? But dry January was like, oh, wait a minute. I can just take a break from alcohol. I don't have to explain it to people. I don't have to come up with all these reasons why I'm not drinking. I can just do this. And I did dry January about five years ago, and I fell in love with it. I fell in love with how deep my sleep became. I fell in love with how I felt rested and just proud of myself each morning. I started to really stick to my health and wellness routine, not just Monday through Thursday, but the whole, you know, entire weekend weekend. And I started to regain the sense of confidence and self-love. Now, it wasn't the last time I drank. I drank more in February, but the contrast was just so rich for me. Like only one or two drinks would completely ruin my sleep, even really drop my mood. I noticed I was really happy in January and just one or two drinks, I would get cranky, frustrated. And so just a lot of these illusions that I had around alcohol that it's supposed to make me feel better were all of a sudden getting proven to me as completely the opposite. And so I stopped drinking in February and it's been five years later now that I've been alcohol-free and helping other people really experiment, explore, and reevaluate the role of alcohol in their lives. And what my biggest intention is, is that we can make space for what really makes us happy and especially going after long sought off dreams. I think that probably, I'm going to go out on a limb and say almost all of my listeners right now can relate to that story you're telling, right? That alcohol is a, it's a social norm. I think you wrote in your book somewhere, you said that alcohol is the only drug we have to defend not partaking in. And it just, it's this, there seems to be this almost requirement or expectation that when we're in social gatherings, when we're out at dinner on weekends and we're at state night or we're at a social gathering that alcohol is just a given, right? That's how we, we equate having fun with drinking alcohol. And I, it seems to me that there's a long, long history of that, right? I mean, we can look back at some of the oldest writings we have on the planet and there's references to go figure alcohol. So it's something that's been with us for quite some time. But do you have any information on how alcohol, how we treat alcohol, how that has changed historically over time? And I'm not thinking like from 10,000 years ago to now, but I'm thinking just from in the last hundred years, have we, it seems to me, certainly we're drinking more and it's become more and more of a custom. Is that is that the case? Is it more prevalent now than it's ever been? That's such a good question, you know, and it is sometimes hard when you look at culture. 
because it feels like ever since we've had civilization, alcohol has been part of the equation. And yet you have to remember that we've been evolving as human species for millions of years, and especially as homo sapiens for 200,000 years. And alcohol has only been a part of that for just a little blip of our history, if you really think about it. You know, if anyone's into paleo or something like that, hunters and gatherers were not drinking alcohol. So alcohol was definitely a ritual and something that people used to celebrate. And it was more so men and people who were well off who could afford to use it in other previous times in our histories. So in 2022, the amount of disposable income and convenience we have around alcohol has never been matched in history ever before. And we see it with how much people are drinking. In the last 20 years, especially the drinking levels of most people have gone up so dramatically that now it is so accurate to say that most people who drink are over drinking. It has really gone up for women. It has gone up for older people as well. It's just a phenomenon. I mean, if you look back 20, 30 years ago, there wasn't a brewery on every street corner. You couldn't buy alcohol at a movie theater. Things have really changed. The Americans in, in the 80s would drink more soda than they did wine with dinner. That's completely flipped. So the scary thing is that there's this huge surge in drinking in the last 20 to 30 years, and doctors are seeing it. They're not seeing it from people who you would think are classic alcoholics. They're seeing it from people who are just drinking whatever was considered normal, but normal has now gone up, and they're getting liver issues. They're having cancer diagnoses. They're having all of these health complications come up from people who don't really present with that traditional problem that they used to be looking for back in the past. So it's really kind of scary to think that our expectation to drink and the socialization around drinking and the norm, that expectation has also gone up too. And, you know, really, really have to ask ourselves, is it serving us as a society and as a culture? And the thing is, is I don't go around telling everyone, hey, you have to quit drinking. Everybody has to quit drinking. But what ends up happening is most people have never experienced what it feels like to take a break from alcohol. You know, aside if you're a woman, maybe a pregnancy here or there, most people start drinking when they're 18, 15, 21, 25, whatever the age is. And they continue drinking literally until they're like in their later years and close to death, right? Like it's just something you do your whole life. And so my philosophy is like, hey, wait a minute. You don't even know what your body feels like without alcohol. Why don't we just try that? Why don't we try that for a short period and then see kind of apples to oranges, which one you like better? And that's kind of how I fall in love with the lifestyle and so many other people have as well to just give it an experimental kind of lens. And that was my sense that it seems like we are just building, and to your point, it's it's almost like this new normal baseline that like keeps, for what normal is, keeps growing and growing and growing and more and more alcohol. And to your point, I hadn't really thought about it, but alcohol is now everywhere. Now, you had mentioned somewhere in there about the kind of the healthy guidelines or drinking guidelines. I've heard it said that, you know, the, it's healthy to have a drink or for, you know, maybe for men to drink something like that. Is there a healthy amount of alcohol we can drink? And what is a drink anyways? That's pretty vague, right? If I have a double bourbon on the rocks versus a low alcohol 12-ounce beer, those are two different things, right? So what what are the guidelines? And is there such a thing as a healthy amount for us to drink? Such a good question. And, you know, for a long, long time, we've been told that, you know, one drink for a woman a day is okay and two drinks for a man is okay. And that's a very long time kind of just like, you know, anecdotal kind of evidence for that. And however, though, is there always these these, okay, well, what is a drink, right? And so what a drink is in the scientific circles is so much smaller than what we are accustomed to drinking. Mm -hmm. So the percentage level and the pour level are so different in the scientific circles when they're doing those studies compared to what we're pouring. The scientific studies usually go for 12% wine 
at a four ounce pour, for example, whereas in a restaurant, you're most likely to get a 15 to 16 percent wine at a six ounce pour. So it's just our, our even our perception of what one drink is or a pint of craft beer is so different from an actual you know measure of beer. But what's also happened in the last 10 years or so is that so much more has, research has been done that's a lot more comprehensive. Because there's all these different variables. You know, when you take a test and you say, okay, if these are moderate drinkers versus non-drinkers, who's healthier? There's all these other variables that they really weren't testing for. And so when the most comprehensive studies that have been done that really remove all the variables and really put together all the science have proven that there's actually no safe amount of alcohol to drink. That every any amount of alcohol is just increasing your risk factors, especially for cancer. So it's proven now that one bottle of wine is the equivalent of smoking 10 cigarettes for your cancer risk. And especially for women for breast cancer, just drinking two drinks a week, which I'm sorry, but two drinks a week to me sounds like the healthiest amount ever. Two drinks a week increases a woman's breast cancer risk by 15%. So the cancer risk goes up, wow. dementia risk goes up, all the brain kind of, de- you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, all those things, you know. Daniel Amen, for example, is a huge proponent of not drinking just because it really does shrink your brain, even just one drink a day, right? The, the, the health, supposed healthy limits. And then the heart stuff, right? So then we have this myth that it's really good for your heart. And there's obviously been studies that kind of somewhat prove that. But like I said, there were other variables and or sometimes they were casting the net for non-drinkers were actually people who had to stop because they were, you know, drinking way too much. And or they had other health complications that forced them to drink. So when you take all of that out, they've also proven that a drink for your heart isn't necessarily the best because it can raise your blood pressure. It can raise actually your cholesterol because of the inflammation. Like a break from alcohol will prove it has been proven to lower those things and actually just makes your heart work faster and and beat harder over time without the like physical exercise component to it. So it just sags it over time. So they're even starting to question, is it even really good for the heart as well? Now, that I don't think has been really seeped into all of the, you know, doctor's offices and different kind of medical recommendations. But at the highest level, the World Health Federation, you know, the Heart Federation has already said a drink a day for your heart is not good for you. So I think what's happening, honestly, is like we're having a cigarette moment where we're starting to see alcohol differently culturally. And it's going to take years, if not even decades, to really change the kind of consensus level of is it good for you? Is it not? Is, is all these kinds of things. But I just see us moving in the right direction with way more comprehensive studies. And, you know, especially too, like with that cancer risk I told you about, doctors and researchers are actually fighting to get labels on the bottle because nobody knows this. 70% of Americans have no idea that alcohol use is tied to cancer. And so I think it's really similar to like kind of the mass education, the policy change that we had around cigarettes, where it's not the mainstream thing anymore. Obviously, people can still smoke and people do still smoke. But I consider that more of a fringe activity these days, in our culture at least, versus a mainstream one. And I think the most beautiful thing in the future would be people can choose to drink or not, but it's not the expectation or a pressure the way it is today, where it's like a must. That's really interesting, kind of compare the comparison of drinking to to cigarette smoking. And I had not heard the statistics about the cancer, and that's that's quite alarming. And I'm somebody who's actively seeking out information in the health and wellness space. Now, I'll often tell my clients that, look, the healthy amount of alcohol for you biologically is zero. There could, you might make a a case for some social benefit or something else, but you really can't make a case for a toxin being healthy, just like the healthy amount of cigarettes is zero, right? The healthy amount of alcohol really is zero when you look at it in this this context. 
So that's a great segue. I want to talk a little bit about, before we kind of get into this a little bit more, about some of the effects of alcohol. And then, of course, I want to talk about some steps for reducing or eliminating alcohol in your life. But what is alcohol? Question. So alcohol is a byproduct of fermentation when you ferment yeasts and sugars together, and it creates ethanol. Um, ethanol is considered a poison. Ethanol is the same thing that is in our car fuel and our rocket fuel. It's in hand sanitizer to kill all living organisms, right? And we drink that stuff. And, you know, I think that's what's so cool to when you ask me these questions about history and, and health and stuff like that is, you know, in a hundred years, if we continue evolving, um, you know, in our health and our consciousness and technology, I don't think we'll be drinking alcohol. I think we'll invent something else that's not toxic, right? But right now, alcohol is a toxic substance called ethanol, and it takes a toll on your body to detox from that, that poison, right? So as we detox from alcohol, our body systems have to ramp up to be able to metabolize it and to produce, you know, be able to let it leave your body, which really makes your body work on overtime. It also really impairs our sleep. So it's been proven that one glass of wine reduces our sleep REM cycles from about five to six that we usually have every night down to just one or two. So you could be clocking in eight hours of sleep but not getting that REM sleep that your body needs. So your body's working overtime to detox the alcohol, right? And that changes as you age. So an 18-year-old often can detox a, a drink in maybe an hour or two. A 50-year-old, it takes a lot more time, if not even days, to detox, right? So the th reason why most of us drink and have no problem with that when we're younger is because our bodies at that point can handle a little bit more of that. And as we age, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, a hangover hits me more. Or I remember having, I stopped drinking when I was 30. And even at that point, I could have a strong beer or a glass of wine and be hungover the next day. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even have one drink and not feel like crap the next day. What's the point, right? So our hormone level changes and our ability to really process the alcohol changes. So it just puts your body on overdrive in so many different ways. It increases inflammation. You know, it shrinks the, the gray matter in your brain. All these different side effects happen as the body is trying to get rid of it and try to metabolize it. So I think it's just so interesting to take a step and see like, wait a minute, what is it that I'm drinking? Like you asked. It's actually a poison that, you know, takes a really big toll on the body. And, and why, did, why did we make that a social custom? It's kind of strange. Like, maybe socializing doesn't have to come with all these negative side effects, you know? Yeah, so let's, let's dig into the socializing piece here. Now, in your book, you talk about being an introvert and alcohol being the miracle drug for us introverts. I'm with you there, complete, total introvert. And my, my story is similar to yours. I, I've done dry January for, I don't know, five, six years now. Every year, I enjoy it more and more. In fact, last January, I, I think I did, I just went ahead and did a dry February just because I loved it. I, I was kind of sad that January was over. And I, I drink very little now, but I find that I'm most pulled towards it when I'm in that uncomfortable situation. It's usually, it's, my wife is very, very, she's the opposite. She's an extrovert. She's a real estate agent. So let's say we're, going to dinner with a bunch of real estate friends. And of course, that means there's alcohol, probably lots of it. And I find there that that's, that's my weak spot, right? That's where it's difficult for me. It's not so much at, at home or even date nights or places where I'm comfortable. I don't want the alcohol, but I feel that I, I almost need it, right? Which obviously is a very unhealthy, as the words are coming out of my mouth, that's a very unhealthy attachment, right? But it's that 
sort of social lubricant, right? And a, I'll fit in more if I'm the only person there without a drink in my hand or an alcoholic drink in my hand. And then just having that one or two drinks that kind of puts relaxes me a little, re- relieves some of the inhibitions. I kind of I can start to flow a little bit. And I think that everybody can relate to this. If you're if you're the partier at a party, that person who's sober is a he's kind of a downer. He or she's a downer, and they're not having any fun. What's wrong with them? But I'm here to tell you the exact opposite is true. If you're that one sober person at a party where everybody's over imbibing, these people are a bunch of idiots. They're not brilliant and glib and funny. They're obnoxious. So there's this dichotomy between the drinkers and the non-drinkers. And how do we negotiate that in social settings, especially for those of us that might be a little bit more on that introvert side? Oh, I love it so much. So, you know, sometimes I'll get on a podcast like this and someone will ask me, they'll try to corner and be like, who has a problem with alcohol? How do you know you have a problem? And I hate answering that question or I don't answer it the way they want me to, because honestly, we've all as a society been taught to rely on alcohol to fill our emotional needs. And like you just said yourself, that is in some shape or form problematic, right? Not only have we been relying on alcohol to solve these needs, but then what it ends up doing is it doesn't help us holistically fill our needs on our own. So, you know, you mentioned being uncomfortable in a social situation, but imagine all the other things people are using alcohol for to deal with the feeling of boredom, loneliness, stress, you know, not feeling confident out socially to people please and to feel like you belong. Right. So there's all of these things. Alcohol itself, like we just said, is a liquid in a glass that's composed of these things. It isn't this magical thing that we've made it all to be. Those are beliefs and assumptions we as a society have placed on alcohol. But I'm with you, right? I'm with you. So I grew up very shy. I'm introverted. And as I start drinking as a teenager, it's like light bulb goes off. This is the magical elixir that turns me into an extrovert, turns me into a gregarious, fun, you know, popular person. So I think, right? So I have this belief in my brain that alcohol makes me more confident. And the thing that really helped me was to recognize that a lot of the beliefs I have around alcohol are either untrue or they're not serving So in this case with alcohol, you know, yeah, I don't feel confident. I go to a party, I get a glass of something, then I immediately feel better. Do you know what I'm telling my subconscious though? Carolina, you're not good enough. You are not interesting. You have nothing good to say. Nobody wants to talk to you. But here, have this glass of wine and then you'll be better. So what I was really doing subconsciously was lowering my confidence and my self-esteem over time because I was outsourcing it to something else. Now, let's not forget the times I actually embarrassed myself or had wine stains on my mouth. Like I woke up the next day with so much less self-esteem and confidence. So as I go alcohol free, I obviously have to deal with this. I have to deal with the awkwardness of just being myself. And I feel like it's almost like a muscle I never worked out before. It's something that I had to really practice to get really comfortable in my skin. You know, and I feel like I've definitely gotten so much better at it. But it's also something that's really like true and pure because I found it within instead of outsourcing it to alcohol. I feel a lot more confident. And I'll say, Kevin, to your point that I think it's actually really normal for most people to feel awkward with people that they don't know or that they hardly know. And even extroverts, I've once learned that extroverts aren't necessarily more confident. They talk so much because they're also insecure. You know, like they have to fill the, the, the noise because they're, they're also might be insecure too. So it's not just that introverts might be more insecure than extroverts. But it's really normal for everyone to actually feel awkward. And this little little kids will feel that way, too. So if you ever put little kids in a room that haven't met before, all the little kids might be hiding by their parents at first. But 30 minutes later, you can't tear them apart. 
And I think that's what naturally happens with human interaction at first. It is a little awkward at the beginning, but if you ease into it and you practice listening and asking questions and all that stuff, it will get better. And alcohol was almost like the superficial like highway or shortcut to all of that. And I think it's just so incredible when you effectively are able to build and lean into that discomfort, but then feeling comfortable. I'll tell you one thing too, like when I go to a wedding, for example, and I'm not like a good dancer by any means, you know, but if I go on the dance floor and I start dancing totally sober without alcohol, I get this rush of dopamine and adrenaline and feel good chemicals that I never felt when I was drinking. Not only am I obviously exercising, but I am putting myself out there in a way that literally makes me feel like I'm on a roller coaster. So it can feel so fulfilling and thrilling to actually go out there and prove to yourself that you can have fun without alcohol. Now, yes, there is that, you know, people who are drinking versus people who aren't drinking. But I'll tell you, Kevin, if I saw someone six, seven years ago at a party having a good time and not drinking alcohol, I would have been like, wait a minute, you're allowed to do that? Like, I didn't think you were allowed to do that. I thought you had to come here and drink yeah. the alcohol. So it's like it almost shifts other people's perceptions of what's possible. And I think people who react badly or just aren't very supportive of it, they are not talking about you whatsoever. They probably have some own insecurities around alcohol themselves. And those therefore don't feel comfortable if everyone isn't drinking when with them. You know, but what I found is that honestly, having a mocktail or an alcohol free beverage like really can make it feel like you're part of it and that other people can also kind of leave you alone too. And you get to choose like where you hang out. Like I love to go to alcohol-free meetups, for example, and go out with mocktails with my friends. And I can be in this really similar, you know, I get a buzz literally just by hanging out with my friends when we're drinking mocktails. So I can also choose to like attend more things that really lift me up, the kind of social things that really make me feel connected with other people you know, and obviously I still have to attend some of those traditional events like the weddings and all that kind of stuff where everyone's getting blasted. Um, but I'll, I'll find the people that I really want to connect with. And I definitely feel like I connect people much better now that I'm present and able to really bond with them and vice versa. I feel like too, I was so insular when I was drinking, you know, I wasn't paying attention to anything or anyone. Right. So like I personally was able to smash all those myths. Alcohol does not make me more confident. It doesn't really help me bond better with people. It's just super artificial. And if people have a problem with it too, you know, there's there's ways to really lean in and look at like, that's nothing to do with me. You know, that's on them about what they feel like with their alcohol thing. So I would say like at the end of the day, it's something to practice and something to recognize that it's actually normal to feel like that. And it's okay to feel like that as long as you work through it. Well, I love all of that. And I, a couple of things jump out to me there. Uh, one is for those of us that are sober in these gatherings where there's plenty of alcohol is don't be a stick in the mud. Own your, just embrace yourself and your confidence and be yourself and be a good representative of that sober community as opposed to that person who's just kind of, you know, I'll find myself sometimes that these people are all ridiculous and it kind of shuts me down as opposed to, hey, they're doing their thing and they're vibing their vibe. Why can't, why would that, why would that shut me down as opposed to allow me to open up? Now, you had mentioned the other thing that I really, that really stuck out there is you had mentioned that you had outsourced, I think you said your confidence and maybe your self-esteem and even self-love to alcohol at one point in your life. And that it was by shedding that, that crutch, if you will, that you, I, I suppose you didn't say that, but what I'm inferring is that that caused you then to do some inner work and start to kind of look at yourself. Okay. If I'm feeling awkward, why is that? Because obviously I know what the, 
I know what the Band-Aid is, but that's not the cure. So talk to us a little bit about maybe the inner work part of that journey, if that was a part of kind of your breaking up with alcohol, if you will. A huge part. And in my book, Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol, Gain a Happier, More Confident You, I divide, I talk about in the book all about how amazing it is to take a break from alcohol or ditch it completely. And I divide it into body, mind, and soul. And so body is a lot of the things we talked about with the health, but mind is where I redevelop all these positive beliefs about myself. My self-esteem, sense of self-love, and confidence was so shot when I was a drinker. I mean, every day I woke up regretting what I, not every day, but you know, I regretted the version of me that had the extra drink or didn't get enough sleep or you know, now doesn't want to work out because I'm tired and lethargic. I never felt self-love because it always felt like there was a part of me that wasn't looking out for me, that wasn't doing the things to set me up for the next day to feel my best. You know, I also had a really low sense of self-trust because as I told you, I had this dichotomy between a healthy versus unhealthy lifestyle. And so I always tried to drink less. It was never the intention to drink a lot, you know, so it's always a rule, always an intention that was constantly getting broken. You know, even if it was just only have one drink tonight and I had two, I still felt shame the next day because I broke a rule and I broke that self-trust. And so that's why I really like talking about taking a break from alcohol because it really kind of eliminates a lot of the, the things that really hold us back when it comes to feeling our best about ourselves. So first of all, the first weekend, second weekend, third weekend I went without alcohol, there was like this like superwoman ability to it. It was like, holy hell, I've never drank, not drinking for this long. This feels amazing. You know, you go 50 days, you're like, who the hell is this person? Like, this is incredible. And you just slowly start to see your confidence and self-esteem rebuilding by doing the things you said you would do and not putting toxic temptations around you that would easily cause you to fall off the wagon. And so there's starting to be this sense not only of self-love where every single day I wake up feeling like the past version of me loved me instead of feeling like the past version of me didn't care about how I'd feel or just was only interested in immediate gratification, not how, you know, the next day would pan out. Every day I wake up like the past version of me actually is looking out for me and loves me, right? I've built up my self-esteem because I'm practicing and healing all these wounds and all these insecurities that I had, that alcohol, like you said, was just masking. And my confidence is going up because every single day it feels like I'm like getting stronger and stronger and just doing something I've never done before. And that spills over into other areas of my life because I never thought I could, couldn't drink for that long. And so I it was this mentality that was almost like, wait a minute, if I could do this, what else could I do? And I basically started challenging all the other preconceived limits and beliefs I put on myself that told me I couldn't do certain things. So for example, I always was interested in being an entrepreneur, but in my mind, like an entrepreneur was someone who lived in the Silicon Valley and got all this venture capital and was a tech genius, right? Like in my mind, there was nothing about me that screamed entrepreneur. I didn't feel confident enough to do it. I didn't feel like I had the know-how. And all of a sudden, as I'm going alcohol-free, I'm like, well, wait a minute, but I can do this. I can do this. So why couldn't I do that too? And it really kind of just opened the floodgates in my brain of like really taking off all the BS stories and all the other limits I had put on my life to say, why not? And the same kind of experimentation I did with my break from alcohol, I started applying to other things. Well, why not try to launch a business? Why not incorporate and then set up this and set up that? Why not launch a podcast? Why not write a book? Why not just practice writing 15 minutes every single day? 
And today, five years later, I'm a multiple six-figure business owner. I uh, speak all over the nation. I host retreats in distant locations all around the world. I've written a book that's in bookstores. Like My life is night and day different because of that break from alcohol that cascaded into so much personal development and healing that I've done. And one huge thing, too, is I finally recognized why I was really drinking. Now, I think we all drink because it's the custom, right? It's like the social conditioning we get. And it becomes a habit. You know, anything you repeat over and over again in your brain is going to get solidified as a solution. But deep down, I think my personal relevance was that I was really bored. I was really bored with my career. I was not feeling like I was making an impact in the world. Monday through Friday couldn't go fast enough so I could drink on the weekend and get a reward. And so and now with hindsight, I've been able to see that I was not fulfilled. And me launching a business and changing careers and doing things to help other people and make an impact, it met my need for fulfillment and meaning and purpose in my life. And so I always say when people take a break from alcohol, you discover who you really are and what you really want. Because trust me, immediate gratification at the end day has nothing compared to long-term fulfillment and true meaning and purpose. And I think it's just one of these incredible tools that we can lean into to actually discover what is it that you want? Like what really makes you happy? You think a drink with a 20-minute buzz makes you happy? Let's ask that question deeper. What organically makes you happy? What organically is fun for you? And Kevin, for example, hanging out with drunk people probably isn't fun for you, right? But you are probably the life of the party at a health and wellness conference. You know what I mean? That's fun for you. So it's like really discovering what makes you light up versus just what we do to people please or, you know, whatever it is kind of a thing. Thank you so much for sharing that so eloquently. As I read through your book, that's what really jumped out at me, right? I pretty much had a handle on the biological health, how it affects your physical health, and maybe your, to a lesser degree, the emotional, spiritual, mental side of things, but not really. And as you talked about moving away from alcohol and stepping into the real authentic you and being able to shine, find your passion, your purpose, embody it, and find this new joy in life. I, that that part was kind of surprising to me. And I think that probably a lot of the people listening right now haven't really considered alcohol in those terms. I think we can all relate to I, this decision to, to fatigue and maybe I'll drink tonight. Maybe I won't. I don't want to because I know I'm going to feel like crap tomorrow. And then you get there. And of course, everybody's having drinks and they're, it's fun and you drink. And then there's that shame cycle and this kind of downward spiral that you've talked about. That I think everybody and everybody who drinks regularly certainly knows how that feels. But what you're talking about is more this upward spiraling, right? There, there's that things are building upon each other and spilling into other areas of your life that might not be so evident from the outside. So thanks so much for sharing that. I would love to transition, speaking of your book, to you have your your eight-week plan, right? You have each week is you've got very specific plans. You have some journaling exercises, some fun mocktails in there as well. But if you don't mind, I'd like to go through those, just each one of those eight weeks and have you speak a little bit about them. And when we're finished with that, we'll kind of wrap up with some practical tips for folks at home who are maybe sober curious, right? Or maybe want to take on dry January this year. And the first is your, that first week is eliminate and dismantle limiting beliefs. Talk to us a little bit about eliminating and dismantling these limiting beliefs. Yeah. So like, as you've already set up so brilliantly in the show, like, you know, we can see that alcohol is a historical construct. We can see that it's the social expectation. And we've also know that like actual physical, 
components of alcohol. Alcohol is nothing more than a fermented beverage in a glass, right? Nothing more, nothing less. However, we as a society have told ourselves, alcohol helps me relax. Alcohol helps me have fun. Alcohol helps me bond with people. Alcohol helps me sleep. Alcohol makes me more confident. Whatever, right? We have all these reasons why we drink. Now, we've already kind of gone over some of these reasons scientifically literally aren't even true. So most people in America do drink because they want to relax. Alcohol actually releases cortisol in our body. Scientifically, biologically, it does not help a human body relax. We can go into that a little bit more, but you know, going into the other things, the other things are kind of assumptions we've also put on alcohol. Maybe they're not as scientific, but you know, alcohol helps me be more confident or helps me be more social or bond or have fun. How about these? There's so much marketing these days around alcohol. Alcohol helps me have a glamorous life. You know, when I'm a wine tasting genius or I'm a whiskey connoisseur, I get status. I'm sophisticated. I'm glamorous. None of this has anything to do with the liquid in in the glass. This is all a construct we put on alcohol. So the limiting beliefs thing is really looking at why do we drink? What are the reasons why we drink? And those are actually functioning as beliefs in our brain. I drink because it helps me relax. Okay, well, then I must have a belief that alcohol helps me relax. Or I drink when I'm out socially, so then I must have a belief that it helps me be more confident, ease social anxiety, belong, whatever it is. So once we can kind of piece apart why it is that we're drinking, we can kind of put these reasons up and actually ask ourselves, wait a minute, does this like serve me? Is this true? You know what I mean? And start to change the beliefs. Because this is why subconsciously we drink. And if we can change the core reason subconsciously and kind of prove to ourselves, hey, alcohol is not actually helping me do that. So just like I explained earlier with the introversion, I thought alcohol made me more confident, but here it was depleting and eroding my confidence and making me so much more less confident. If alcohol really makes me more confident, should I I be more confident over time with like drinking or something like that? So I could use even just the process of analysis to be like, wait a minute. No, alcohol is robbing me of confidence. I always feel ashamed the next day. It never makes me feel good in my skin. All these kinds of things to prove to myself that it doesn't, that it isn't actually doing what I expect it to do. And what that happens is once you remove one of those huge blocks, and I'll say the average person has around 10 to 20 different like blocks like that. Once you remove a block like that, it actually removes your desire level. Because you actually, if, if you don't believe that alcohol is going to fulfill on the mission that you believe it's going to do, it actually reduces your desire. So, you know, my, my philosophy and teachings have nothing to do about, oh, you can't drink. You know, it's bad for you. It's not allowed. It's getting people to a place where they don't want to drink anymore. I mean, for example, I smoked cigarettes in college and you couldn't pay me to smoke a cigarette today, right? Like I have no desire for it, no interest level. So when we're able to change the beliefs we have around alcohol, it actually chips away at the desire too. You know, when you know fundamentally that alcohol doesn't help you sleep and subconsciously you don't see any benefits with it. And subconscious versus conscious is a good differentiation because consciously we might know these things, but we have to honestly really root them in our subconscious as well. It changes our desire level. So that's why it starts with that week one is just recognizing, hey, what are your reasons for liking to drink? These are your big beliefs that we are going to analyze and change and debunk over the time together. I love that. I love really digging into your assumptions, changing those assumptions before your before your actions can change permanently. We're going to have to get to the root of that. So clearly, we're going to start there at our base. 
week one. Week two, we're going to let go of shame. Now, you had briefly mentioned shame a couple of times, that shame spiral. How are we letting go of shame in week two? Yeah, and I'll try to make these a little quicker, but week two, I I like to also teach people about the effects of alcohol. And I think once we understand that this is something that is happening to everyone who's drinking regularly, we can stop seeing our issue as unique. And when we stop seeing it as unique, we stop thinking that something is inherently wrong with us. This is all about alcohol. This is all about how we were conditioned to drink for literally every reason under the sun. You know what I mean? When you stop recognizing there's nothing wrong with you, yourself, you can start to heal and forgive yourself. And I think that letting it go and just being like not ashamed even. So many people would never even say that they struggle with alcohol or that they want to drink less because they're ashamed to even say that out loud. But really recognizing that, hey, just like most people on this planet want to be healthier, it's been proven that most people want to drink less or not at all too. I mean, why wouldn't you if you think about it? Alcohol doesn't feel good the next day for anyone, right? So it's like this process of letting go the shame, speaking your truth, and forgiving yourself completely for anything that happened to you. You're not to blame for having an alcohol habit. Like you would have to grow up under a rock in order to be a a human in Western society to not drink. But now we can kind of take responsibility of if it's aligned for a future and let go of that past. And that brings you right into your third week. And this is where I met reducing alcohol, and that is stepping into your best health. Talk to us a little bit about week three. You know, I talk in the book a lot about how the effects of alcohol are very damaging on the body. But my favorite thing to talk about is how many improvements you can see in just a break from alcohol. Our cancer markers go down. Our gray matter grows in our brain. Our liver fat heals. Our blood pressure goes down. Our cholesterol can down. So many incredible things happen healing on inside the body when we take a break from alcohol. And week three also helps people leverage those things. You know, you're not waking up on the wrong side of the bed anymore. So let's leverage getting some healthy movement in and using nourishing foods to really fuel you so that you're really setting yourself up as you're getting started this new habit to, you know, really pick into other things that will also really complement you feeling your best. Yeah, I love that. We talked about spiraling up earlier, and I think that this ties into that, right? Would we? It seems to me that when folks start a healthy habit and they start to notice that it makes them feel better, it tends to encourage other healthy habits, right? So you had mentioned, hey, if I'm not feeling like crap, I'll make healthier food choices. I'm more likely to get to the gym. And when I get to the gym, I feel a little better about myself and I'm more likely to do that in the future, et cetera. So absolutely love that. Number four, here's, I've obviously talked a little bit about, I I struggle here with this one, but it's navigate your social life. So what are we learning in week four? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like I think almost most people get to a point where they can learn how to not drink at home, like you said. And then it's like, well, if only I was a Buddhist monk who lived in Bhutan, right? Like I still have to deal with the (laughs) social world. And so learning how to navigate that, learning how, what to say even, right? When you're out with people, learning how to uh, recognize people's different responses and what that means, learning what to say with your partner, with your friends, with your family, all those kinds of things. And also, like you said, the twist in the, in the beginning, it's how you wear it. It really is how you wear it and learning how to be really proud of it and not let it mean something negative about you. I mean, some of my favorite heroes on this planet, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Brene Brown, Gabby Bernstein, 
What do they all have in common? They do not drink alcohol. The last two presidents of the United States do not drink alcohol. I see people who don't drink as the movers and shakers of our society. So I don't have this perception that, oh, it's for the losers or something like that. It's changed also how I carry it. And I'm so proud to say that I don't drink, right? So this will also help you, um, you know, find maybe friends or meetups in your area where you can meet more like-minded people as well and really learn how to navigate that social element. Now, this is this is the part where, like I said, I, I was a little surprised by this part. In week five, we're going to learn to get mindful and we're going to embody self-love. Talk a little bit about that. So I think that alcohol is the quickest shortcut to not experience the feelings and emotions we're feeling in the present moment, right? It literally slows down our brain and our ability to think. And so what ends up happening is you start feeling your emotions. And in many ways, that can be hard and painful for some people. And for other people, it could be really uplifting to, you know, allow the new positive feelings to kind of burst. But I think no matter what, our emotions are the best barometers of what is in alignment with our life and our values and our dreams versus what is out of alignment. You're not supposed to go every single day feeling stressed because you're working 12-hour shifts and you hate your boss. You could drink over that every single night for the rest of your life and nothing would change. Maybe that emotion of stress and frustration is telling you to make a change. And maybe it doesn't have to be a black and white change like you quit your job. It could be. But maybe you ask for a different position or you know get assigned somewhere different or choose a promotion somewhere else. I don't know, right? But we need to be listening to our emotions and actually digesting the messages that they have for us instead of just numbing them. So, you know, getting mindful is all about being present, present with our emotions, building up our sense of self-love, self-esteem and confidence as we go about making these changes and really learning how to be okay with finding tools in within ourselves instead of looking for all these outside things to fill kind of the gaps that we have. And you know, any gap that we feel is an opportunity to make a small shift in your life in any kind of way, right? And so instead of looking for these exterior things that will never solve the actual problem, really learning how to kind of read yourself and emotionally regulate on your own. Yeah, instead of masking the problem, actually digging into it and then taking action on that. I absolutely love this. And I, I love the way these weeks stack on each other because we're going from navigating your social life to getting mindful and body self-love. And then in week six, we go to find pure and utter happiness. Talk to us about yeah. that. So, you know, earlier I mentioned how like alcohol tricks our brain. Alcohol is like putting, you know, if you see a rat in an experiment, experimenters are able to put like little nodes on the rat's brains and they can just send an electrical pulse into their brains and stimulate the pleasure center right in their brain. That's kind of how alcohol functions on our brain. And if you think about it, it's fake. It's artificial. It's not real happiness, right? Cocaine and heroin will do the same things to your brain. Doesn't mean that we all want to be doing that to be happy. So it's like begs the question, what really makes you happy? No, no, no. But what really makes you happy, right? And I think that in this experience, it's really looking at your human needs, right? So we talk about human needs this week about getting your need met for variety and adventure. You know, a lot of people drink because they like to have fun, but it's because they live really boring lives and they don't have adventure or stimulation or any kind of fun baked into their life other than that alcohol, right? So it's really recognizing what you need to, you know, have this holistic, wholesome life that's really meeting your needs to have fun, to be happy, and also just recognizing too that like, you know, a lot of different things like a routine can make you happier too. So I talk about morning routines and evening routines in there as well to really just cultivate a baseline where, you know, you are filling your needs every single day and it's elevating your happiness level. And previously in the book, I also talk about how alcohol is actually depleting all of your happiness neurotransmitters. 
It lowers our receptivity to dopamine. It lowers our serotonin. It lowers our GABA. So even though we get a spike of joy for 20 minutes, it crashes and goes lower than it ever was before and then lowers your baseline so that when you're not drinking throughout the week or whatever, you're actually way less happy than if you didn't have alcohol in the first place. So it's just insane to just really put that all together to recognize you can be so much happier without alcohol. Yeah, you can find your pure and utter happiness. I absolutely love that. So week seven, we're going to move on and we're going to build on that. We're going to create our dream lives. How do we create our dream lives now in yeah, week seven? Well, so we just get all this time and mental energy back too, right? Because we're not thinking about alcohol. We're not planning it. We're not recriminating ourselves. We're not ruminating. We're not playing the mental gymnastics. Should I, shouldn't I? And we actually get physical time back too. And so what happens up happening is most people are ready to then explore what really makes them happy. So they start trying new hobbies, start going out to different things, maybe doing a writing workshop or a paddleboard lesson or something, just experimenting, starting to find the things that they are actually passionate about. And I think as you want to create your dream life, you know, you really start thinking of this overview of like, hey, I have this one life to live. What do I want to do? What are the bucket list experiences I want to have? What do I really wish I could have and do? And week seven is all about the experimentation to just go try stuff. You know, I have a book now, right? It's on bookshelves. I started by just going to a writer's workshop and that was just me experimenting with something. It was like, okay, well, I'm not going to drink on Friday night. So I guess I'll try something new. And so it can really lead you, you never know, to some beautiful passions. Lead to some beautiful passions, which is going to bring us very nicely into week eight, which is step into your purpose. So, you know, I really do believe that it's not about ditching alcohol and just quitting drinking and getting everyone to stop. That's not why I do what I do. I do it so people can leave behind what no longer serves them and make space in their life for what is really, truly going to light them up. And I might sound like very naive or just kind of whimsical, but I have seen so many of my clients, the people I work with, myself included, everyone who has really kind of embarked on this journey, they find their dream life when they ditch alcohol because all these culminating things that happen, they find their deeper passion. They recognize, you know what? I was drinking a lot because I was really stressed out and not liking my career. So they make a shift and they launch their own business, right? Like I did. And they start to find so much more fulfillment and happiness by helping other people instead of being stuck in a job that isn't fulfilling their souls. And so by finding your purpose, it's really going deep and asking yourself these questions of like, if anything was possible, what would I actually do? And you have that gained confidence. And now you have also the courage. I mean, it takes courage to tell people you're not drinking and you have the energy and the enthusiasm and you have the self-love and you have this alchemy that you've created of all these positive attributes that now give you the gumption to actually go after what you really want. And so I think to me, that's why I do everything that I do. I've seen my clients write books, write, form communities, launch businesses, move to France, form new nonprofits. Just the, the world really is their oyster once they remove the block of alcohol and really discover what they want and then also go for it. Thank you for sharing all of that. And again, I, I, uh, was, I was, I was very intrigued going through this information and you've obviously put a lot of thought into this. And I think that a lot of people might think, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want a, a, a sobriety person. That doesn't sound like much fun. Um, you know, I don't want to read a book on being sober, but the way you approach it. And I, I think at one point you even say it's not so much about being sober or sobriety as it is designing this life, building this life that you love so much that drinking just loses its, its allure and that it loses its luster. And I think that when you step back in the way that you're talking about and just examining alcohol and its role in your life. There's a lot of value for that. Now, 
Carolina, we are going to, I'm just going to fast track you. This is going to, we'll drop this. Normally I drop episodes on Wednesdays and this would normally in rotation come out, I don't know, February or something. I'm going to drop this Monday. Um, so that'll be January 2nd and really push it out because I think that dry January is, that's how I first became, yeah, look, I've had, I have a, a long history with both alcohol and drugs and most of it not so pretty. Um, but certainly dry January was instrumental in where I am today as a part of my evolution, right? And I think it's a fantastic tool for a lot of people to step back to experience the things that you're talking about because it doesn't, it's not immediately evident. You might think, okay, well, waking up without a hangover, you know, every day or every weekend or how often that's, that sounds nice. Sure. I would like that. But you're describing this much richer, fuller experience by stepping away from drinking. So certainly want to encourage people to take advantage of dry January. Just try it. Do you have words of encouragement for people who are thinking, that sounds intimidating. That sounds scary. I don't know if I could do it. What words of encouragement would you have to somebody that expressed those kinds of feelings? Absolutely. You know, and I think first of all, that, that one saying of like everything you want in life is outside your comfort zone. And that's what alcohol is. It's not mm -hmm. a moral failing. It's not wrong or right. It's not some religious right. thing. It is a comfort zone. And it's something that we've all built up as our comfort zone. And I think by challenging yourself outside your comfort zone, you're going to find so much fulfillment and so much proof that you're capable of way more than you thought. But hey, this is not a forever thing. This is not, I have to quit drinking for the rest of my life, especially when you see it just as dry January. It's an experiment. It's experimentation to see. Right. I know how I feel like with drinking. I've done the drinking weddings. I've done the drinking Friday nights. I've done the drinking how I feel the next day. I know how much time it takes in my life. But I never really have given myself a chance to know how I feel without drinking. And, you know, by just going in that experimental lens, it can also take a lot of the deprivation away by just knowing, you know what, I can drink in February as much as I want. I'm just not drinking this month. And make sure that you have a lot of alcohol-free beverages on hand. Because the thing is, is most of us look to drinking as a ritual to either decompress or to have fun with, right? And the ritual and the placebo effect of that is actually embaked into like the act versus the actual properties of ethanol doing anything to your body. So there's so many alcohol-free beverages these days, alcohol-free wines, alcohol-free beers, alcohol-free spirits, mocktails, nootropics, adaptogens, health elixirs, matcha drinks, reishi, mushroom drink. I mean, you could go in a store and find like a hundred drinks that don't have alcohol in them. Stock up, have fun experimenting, try them. So you don't feel deprived. You can still pour the drink at 6 p.m. You're just pouring something different, right? And I think that is one of the easiest, fastest things you could do to embark on dry January. And hey, whether you make it 30 days or you make it three days and that's a, like a win for you, that's amazing. You just built a little bit of a sober muscle and you're practicing and practicing. Before I did 30 days without alcohol, I actually challenged myself the year before to not drink one weekend every single month. And that was really hard for me because the weekends were when I really relied on alcohol. And like, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it because back then I would just drink so quickly. I never got the benefit of it. It was only like seven days off at a time. And so, but that helped me still in a way, it helped me become comfortable and learn how to just be with myself on a Friday night without drinking. And so every little step is so much better than someone who's not trying. Don't ever forget that. Not drinking for two days is not making you a failure. It makes you so much far light years ahead of the person who's not even trying. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's important for people to hear because I think that might be some of the some of the hesitation before trying something like this. Well, what if I decide I, I you know I, I make this statement to myself and tell my friends I'm going to do this and I make it three days and I 
fail, right? Then I'm a failure. But no, you're not. You've practiced. You've, to your point, you've, you've flexed that sober muscle just a tiny bit. And maybe that's the first small step in, in your journey. So Carolina, as we're wrapping up here, I've got another kind of off the, off the subject question for you. It seems to me that now with marijuana being legalized in so many states and THC being pretty popular, I see there, there seems to be this movement of, of the marijuana market trying to sneak in and say, Hey, we're the healthy alternative to basically band-aiding all of the things we were talking about that alcohol does your, 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 you know, these inhibitions or whatever it is, the stress, take the stress off with marijuana. What do you have any thoughts at all on marijuana usage and maybe as a replacement or alongside or instead of alcohol? Absolutely. So I'll try to be as objective as possible about this. You know, marijuana is just not as toxic as alcohol. You know, if you're just going to compare the two, there's so much more damaging effects that alcohol does on a human body. However, like you said, we can still be using marijuana for those emotional needs. That means that they're never getting worked through and we're just using it as a crutch again. So it's not really going to allow someone to go on a really deep, you know, healing and, and uplifting, up leveling life journey if they're still using uh, marijuana as a crutch. And there are some health effects. So, you know, how I said one drink will lower your REM sleep. So will weed, you know, everyone thinks that weed helps you sleep, but actually yeah. it's, it's deteriorating your REM sleep and doing it a lot of others. It's amazing to learn how to rely on your own natural ability to elicit different neurotransmitters. Like I really think that we can biohack our way into feeling happier or more love or all the things that we're kind of looking in these outside sources for. And it feels so amazing when you know you have that power through things like breath work or meditation or exercise or, you know, even expressing your emotions, all these things. But, um, you know, at the same time, on a larger scale, objectively, too, I think we would be better off as a society if marijuana was the drug of choice for socializing versus alcohol. Now, I personally do not smoke either. I do not do anything, but I do think that we can cut, start leaning on it in all the wrong ways too, uh, obviously too, but like it is less toxic. So, you know, there's, there's that too. Okay. Yeah. Th I, I just wanted to get your take on that because now as it's getting legalized in more and more states and it's becoming more and more available and prevalent, just wondering how that kind of plays into all of that. Mm -hmm. So Carolina, what's, what's next for you? What's on the horizon? Absolutely. Well, thank you for asking. Well, I just want to share this message as far and wide as possibly that I can. And what I really, really love too, is not just helping people stop the drinking, it's to help them find their deeper purpose and then unleash that into the world. So not only do I have programs to help people take a break and change their relationship with alcohol, one of my flagship programs is also to help people find their deeper purpose once they're already alcohol-free and then to go unleash that into the world. So I also help women write books and launch businesses and all this stuff. And I'm just so excited about that because it's just like, there's just such a beautiful, like you said, up leveling of your life that you love it so much that you don't even want to drink anymore. And I think that if the world functioned like that, we would see so many less problems. So I would love to speak more on stages. I would love to write another book. I would love to grow my company and reach more people. I feel so alive in this mission and I can tell that it was the missing piece that I didn't have in my life before. And I was using alcohol to kind of fill that void, right? And we could use all the other things too. And I just want to continue living in this God-given mission that I was given and really full it to live it to the max. And I think that ultimately, there's such a growing journey when we decide that we are worthy of our dreams, we are worthy of our goals, and it's worth it for us to continue up-leveling because we can continue to tell ourselves, 
no, I don't deserve that or no, that would never happen for me. And we'll continue to also live unfulfilled lives where we stay stuck in our comfort zones, afraid to venture out. So I hope I'm always pushing the limits, whichever direction I go. I hope it's a continual expansion out of my comfort zone. And even though it's not with alcohol anymore, it's always new level, new devil for me. So there's always something I'm scared of that I'm trying to break through. (laughs) I absolutely love that. Well, how can folks get in touch with you, learn about you, potentially work with you? What's the best way? So uh, you can find me at euphoricaf.com and you could learn about my programs. I also host retreats around the world. I'm going to Bali next. And you can also find me at euphoricaf.com on the Instagrams. And then if you're interested in the book, I love the book is such a good primer on just how amazing it is to take a break from alcohol. And then all those weeks we talked about, about really giving you the mindset homework to change your desire levels for alcohol. You can find that just type in euphoric in Amazon or go to euphoricbook.com. You can find it in other countries as well. Um, and I think it's just a really great primer for dry January and really any time of year. We don't need an excuse for January, right? But there's a collective that's feeling right. too to January that's super exciting because everyone's doing it. Every year, more and more people do dry January than the year before. I think it's so cool. It does seem to be gaining some momentum. I absolutely love that. And folks, that book is Euphoric, Ditch Alcohol, and Gain a Happier, More Confident You. And I will put links to all of uh, Carolina's social information or website, the book, all of that into the show notes. You guys can find that there. She also has a podcast. You guys can go check that out. It's called Euphoric, the podcast. So Carolina, as we're wrapping up, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your wisdom, your passion, and your message with us. And I seriously applaud the work that you're doing, and I wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be on your show. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find our guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about today in the show notes, and you can find that over at silveredgefitness.com slash 163. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. One is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast listeners to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to these podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong. Stay strong.